Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we are joined today via Zoom by a good friend of mine, Alicia Manis. Welcome to Worked Up. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It's great to be here. Uh, It's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. We've been talking about this for a while. By way of background, Alicia is an ICF certified executive coach. She's the founder of Channel Bright, which is a leadership accelerator for the talent pipeline. She has an incredible background that covers lots of different bases. And she's just a powerhouse in the world of coaching with incredible insight. So thank you for being here. So delighted. So delighted about our conversation. So before we dig in, because I know there's a lot of ground we want to cover, do you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background and your own personal journey? Sure, sure. Yeah, so my path to land on this podcast and get into executive coaching has been, I would say, dazzlingly non-linear. So (laughs) this is is actually my fifth professional chapter. And I'll just give a brief headline for each chapter. Um, Yeah, so chapter one was uh, being an editor for Francis Ford Coppola's short fiction magazine. Oh, wow. And that, yeah, that was in New York City. And it was just a timing thing. I graduated right as he was launching it. And I was part of a four person staff and got a lot of face time with him, which, you know, was a very interesting model of leadership. And eventually that led to web production for his San Francisco office. Um, and I transitioned to chapter two, which was becoming a corporate creative in e commerce for Williams Sonoma. And I worked for a lot of their brands, like all the Pottery Barn brands. And um, eventually I went into freelancing for a lot of retailers, um, pretty sophisticated retailers like Leapfrog and Kodak Gallery. And and then kind of on the side in parallel at this time, I started uh, practicing yoga for my own health and personal development. And that led to uh, chapter three. So chapter three was teaching yoga, you know, in parallel with my design and e-commerce work. And eventually I was really just deeply steeped in philosophy and navigated a very, very messy and profound value shift that yoga had led to. And, um, you know, I was working for in the corporate world a lot, and I just suddenly really wanted to be in service, like directly in service to human development and human growth. And uh, that led to chapter four, which was um, becoming an occupational therapist. And I went to graduate school, still teaching yoga, um, still doing some some freelance art direction and e-commerce design work. And becoming an occupational therapist, I specialized in mental health and trauma-informed care. And here's where the coaching comes in because there's so many parallels with coaching and occupational therapy. And it's really about, um, you know, an OT, like when you regain life skills, it's about agency, 
becoming your best. It's um, client centered, goal oriented, action oriented. You know, these are all coaching things. It's about celebrating the micro steps to get to the bigger goal. And um, <laughs> so we're we're almost we're almost at chapter five. So as I was in OT, um, I specialized you know, with working with these teens. And eventually I did burn out and I experienced compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma symptoms. On the side, I was um, facilitating an authentic relating practice and communication tool. This was real-time feedback. It's called T-Group. And business schools use it to sharpen interpersonal intelligence. So um, it's all about real-time feedback moment to moment so that people understand what's going on and can read the room, can read a group. And my friend, um, my close friend who knew my sort of broad skill set, he said, you know, I have a team of 15 engineers. Um, can you come in, do some T-group? Can you facilitate this executive offsite? You know, can you um, do something here? <laughs> and so once I started coaching them through some group work, and one-on-one um, -on -one work and some tea group. I was like, wow, the, there's no going back. And over time, I grew to really love the challenges that leaders were facing, um, you know, because there's so, it's such nuanced relational work that revolves so much around trust and communication. So I feel very blessed to be in chapter five and integrating um, all the different chapters. I love how you said it was dazzlingly non-linear. <laughs> yes. But what's amazing about your story is that everything clearly builds upon what came before it. Right. So, you know, you started as an editor, you transitioned into corporate, you know, kind of feeding toward this, it seems, innate creative side that you have in you which then led you to the more philosophical route of yoga, which then, as you became steeped in that, led you to occupational therapy being your best self, rising to the occasion, which clearly led to coaching. And so even though you may look at it and say, wow, I'm all over the board, there is a very beautiful kind of almost thesis statement <laughs> that runs through it. Uh -huh. uh, which you've uh -huh. organized very clearly. So thank you for that. Um, but but it, I just love the way you put that dazzlingly nonlinear. And yeah. you bring up three things that I at least think are critically important. Relationships, trust, and communication. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious about this T-group tool. I've actually never heard of that before. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about what that is and how it improves interrelational um, communication? Sure. Yeah. Um, and just by the way, I love how you are able to see the through line <laughs> in, in all of my backgrounds because, yeah, to me, it kind of makes sense how they build on each other. But um, yeah, I'm really appreciating how you summarize all of that. Um, so yeah, T group, um, I just feel so blessed to have stumbled across it. Um, in Berkeley, there was a community growing and it's actually an older practice that was originally created for um, navigating race relations. So it's actually like a, an ultimate DEIB tool, potentially, mm -hmm. um, although it's not 
really being used as such right now. Um, so tea group is you, you get together in a group. Um, there are guidelines for how you share experience and you keep it in the present. So you name precisely what's going on in the moment. So for example, Jacqueline, if you and I were in a tea group right now, um, you know, we can imagine a few other, well, you know, there's, there's um, Ben in the background, right? But we can imagine a few other people around us, but I could say something like, Jacqueline, in this moment, I feel uh, delighted, thrilled, a shade nervous. Uh, you know, my narrative is that it's so exciting and enlivening to be in conversation with you. And I've been looking forward to this. And so right now my body just feels really alive. And, and the impact it's having is that I feel closer to you and, um, and just, you know, excited about collaborating with you in this, in this context. Well, that feels very good to receive. I will tell you that. <laughs> And by the way, shout out to Ben. Ben's our producer who does all the back end work here. Shout out to Ben. Shout out to Ben. Um, But I have to say the way that that's presented, it does feel very good to receive that message. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's what's um, interesting is we we start with establishing appreciative feedback. So you kind of scan in the group for what's genuine, authentic, alive in terms of what you appreciate about each person. You don't force anything, you know, because it is about authenticity as well. And then you try to build these cords of connection with each person and establish a bedrock of trust and appreciation with the understanding that that's required for any sort of more challenging or differentiating feedback. So so after the appreciative feedback is shared, then, you know, in a round two, you might work with the same group and reveal uh, more challenging things to reveal. That, that's really mm-hmm. interesting and a great segue because part of what drew us to this conversation today was the topic of feedback. And we we both had a, a, a pre-meeting, if you will, where we said, all right, what are we going to chat about? And this topic of feedback is such a big one. And I know one that comes up very much so for both you and me in our executive coaching practices. It runs the gamut from how do I give tough feedback to so-and-so isn't taking my feedback to how do I make someone listen to me? And there's, there's just so much to talk about. And so when you think about feedback, Alicia, where do you like to start? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, it's just such a rich topic. Um, Yeah, where do I like to start? I guess I like to start with it being um, this potentially incredibly enlivening process. And uh, I look at it as an investment in time, energy, and attention. And you know, it's, it's critical for relationship building. So I, yeah, just the, the mindset that it's an investment, that it's a gift, um, whether it's positive and or more challenging, you know, it's, it's a gift. And when we can really, uh, feel into the, the potential, right. Of, of, uh, strengthening relationship through honesty and risk-taking, 
through feedback. Um, it's, it's just a, a game changing practice for culture and, and leadership. So it's really also about context mm-hmm. is what I hear you saying. It's, it's about being able to hear something, take in it what you will and what you need, and then bring it forward toward action. So let's ease into the topic because I know it can be confronting for a lot of people. Let's start with the phrase you used a few minutes back, appreciative feedback. Yes. What is it? Yeah. Great. Appreciative feedback. Uh, I think of it as, as skillful work compliments that convey, you know, that express the value that you see in somebody's contribution and in their behaviors at work. It can be personal as well, but you know, in the, the coaching, executive coaching context, it's skillful work compliments. And so it's effectively a way of demonstrating your appreciation for mm-hmm. the person to whom you're speaking. Exactly. Now, yeah, that, you, go ahead. Well, yeah, it's, it's also an, a, a way of, of communicating, like, I see you, I feel you, I hear you. I recognize how you're showing up and what you're bringing to the table. Um, you know, it's, it's a way of supporting employees with feeling seen, felt, and heard. Another, another frame for it. Which ultimately is what people want at the end yeah. of the day. Yes. As you're talking, I'm thinking about someone who gives a lot of compliments. And there's a very fine line between, you know, giving a compliment or coming off inauthentic or coming off creepy (laughs) or coming (laughs) off like you're paying a little too much attention to something. So how do you frame uh, appreciative feedback in a way that is authentic and that isn't overdone? Mm, Yeah, I love that question. Yeah, because because there can be a creepiness to it, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think that creepiness comes in when there's some sort of incongruence between, you know, motive and the words. So I would say, you know, for the, the giver of appreciative feedback, checking in with your motive, right? What's my motive here in sharing with Jacqueline that uh, I love the background in her Zoom window, you know, or that I love her smile. Like, what's my motive there? Right. You know, is it to get something? Is it? Is there some sort of agenda attached to it? Because if there is, it's going to be creepy. And the, the recipient's going to pick up on that um, consciously or subconsciously. And it's not, it, it's not a feel-good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good point. And... I'm, I'm, I'm smiling to myself and I'm thinking also about how I've been in situations where someone starts giving me a compliment and I'm, I automatically go to, all right, A, what do they want? B, are they about to pull the rug from under me and are they about to give me some bad feedback? <laughs> right. And I think especially people in corporate America, they've been taught the quote unquote sandwich rule. Mm-hmm. Where you mm-hmm. sandwich bad feedback or negative feedback, which I don't like to believe in. I like to believe in it and frame it 
you can tell I'm a coach as, you know, developmental feedback or areas of opportunity. But the sandwich theory being that you, you have compliment, negative feedback, compliment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like sometimes the appreciative feedback primes you for the, for the bad thing or the bad <laughs> message that's, uh-huh. that's to come. Right. Right. How do you find that sandwich method for lack of a better <laughs> term? <laughs> actually right. working in the real world. Right. And that is frequently referred to as a shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it is funny because those of us who kind of grew up or, you know, around that, that knowledge that that was sort of the management technique for a while, right. Right. To, to name a strength and then the difficult thing and then close it with a strength. So you end up on a positive note, right. Right. Um, right. Right. It's bred this wariness and suspicion. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's only natural that some of us have been sort of conditioned to be a little vigilant when when um, that we suspect that that formulaic approach might be present, Mm. Um, (laughs) you know. So I, I do think a lot of people have sort of grown out of that. And, you know, just because we're, we're we've caught on to how wary and sort of defensive it can and make someone. But you also bring up something interesting, which is um, that if we automatically feel distrust when somebody's giving us feedback, it could be that it's coming from, you know, the sandwich. <laughs> It could be um, that there's something creepy or transactional or, you know, some sort of agenda or quid pro quo expected somehow. Mm-hmm. It could also be that we need to work on our own skills of receiving feedback. I love that. Right? So receiving a compliment. Some of us will bask in it, bathe in it, love it. And you know, it depends on how we like to be shown appreciation. Some of us may not bask in it. Some of us be very, we might be very uncomfortable with it. So it, it is a skill to give feedback. It's a skill to receive it. How do you recommend people work on their receiving of feedback? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's great to do sort of a baseline check, right? So just do a baseline check. Is, is it exciting to me when somebody starts giving me feedback? Do I sort of shut down, right? And it requires a certain intimacy with our own nervous system. It requires a certain intimacy with or understanding of our own attachment style as well. So with the nervous system, do I go into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or flop? when somebody starts giving me feedback, right? Um, With the attachment style, am I generally secure or anxious or avoidant? And so just a general awareness of our patterns historically is helpful. So I'd start with awareness. I want to dig into that because... I am sure there could be people listening in their car to this thinking, oh, I want to write that down. Right. (laughs) So let's let's start with the five F's. Yes. Right. Can you talk through what they are and what they represent? Absolutely. So I think probably a lot of people are familiar with fight, flight, freeze. Those are very common reactions to uh, either real or perceived threat. 
So somebody could be coming at us with feedback and we may perceive either real or, or unreal threat. And we might want to run, right? That's the flight. We might get defensive and want to uh, give them some feedback back to them. You know, that's the fight. Mm -hmm. uh, we might just sort of retreat and, and freeze and not know what to say. That's our freeze. And then the two newer or you know, more recently coined ones are fawn and flop. Um, so fawn is a people-pleasing behavior. Mm. And we start to fawn and say like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to totally do the thing, whatever it is you're asking me to do. Yes, like, I, I want to make sure you're happy. I want to please everybody around me. You know, that's, that's a fawn response. And a lot of us uh, may have experienced it, especially if we grew up with sort of what I call good girl or good boy conditioning. Oh, hi. Nice um, to meet you. Hi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so that's fun. And then flop is, um, so fainting is an exaggerated flop. Okay. We just, we just sort of like give up and tune out and escape. It's not exactly freezing, but I draw a parallel to quiet quitting being a form of flop. You're sort of not really engaged. You're giving up a little bit. You check out a little bit. It's it's a detachment that's a little um, different than freezing. Okay, it's, it's a little less stark, but it's um, yeah. So just sort of a, a I give up. Is it? <laughs> I give up. I'm never going to please you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it possible to react differently depending on the context or who you're opposite? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. I think different people bring out different um, reactions. I think that is absolutely possible depending on what type of safety we feel with them. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I do think that we each have a pattern with okay. our most common reaction. So for example, I know that I'm generally a freezer, <laughs> um, you know, and even with all of my work in, uh, really understanding communication tools and feedback, you know, all my studies in like nonviolent communication, language, alchemy, T group, um, you know, all these tools, um, I will freeze at times. And I just know, you know, I have the awareness to be like, oh, I'm freezing. What would someone who doesn't freeze say right now? You know, like I have to sort of consciously coach myself out of my freeze mm. response. And it's the same response I have in in crisis. I have to consciously say, what would someone who would take action right now do? Right. Um, so, so there's a pattern in each of us. Um, however, different contexts, I think, do can bring out different reactions and different relationships can, can bring out different reactions. Um, it has to do with the psychological safety that's present as well. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I'm thinking to myself about how I probably have an element of each of those and how I react in certain uh -huh. situations, but there are yeah. people who certainly bring out the fight and there are people who certainly bring out the flight, Right. certainly the fawn for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it's mm -hmm. also very much, you know, who am I opposite? And frankly, where am I in my stage of life? Because I think I probably reacted differently 15 years ago to certain things than I would have now you know, post yes. this journey I've been on of 
what you're really talking about, which is self-awareness and really understanding yourself. So you have that baseline context from which you can A, make decisions and then B, communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that brings us to the attachment styles, which is yeah. also fascinating. Do you mm-hmm. mind going into those? Briefly. Sure, sure. Yeah. And um, and I'm I'm not an expert on these. I know enough to sort of, you know, make connections here. But um, yeah, I and also I just want to reflect back to you. Like I love how you summarize that and you know, witnessing your own growth that we can change based on our developmental stage. And yeah, in my 20s, I used to be such a people pleaser, and then I grew out of that and I started fighting a little bit more that, you know, just we each have our individual journey based on our, um, on yeah, our past and histories and how we choose to approach, approach them and grow or not grow. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so attachment styles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So some of us, and this all has to do with how we grew up at, you know, very critical developmental stages in childhood. So a lot of times attachment styles come from our family of origin. And uh, we, you know, pick up on cues based on our, our parents modeling, or whatever adults we had present modeling. And um, we may have grown up feeling very anxious, right, where there's um, just sort of a an anxiety in the air and the way that our parents dealt with situations, uh, maybe they were anxious. So we picked up on, you know, on their anxiety. And um, if we had a caregiver that wasn't very present, we might feel sort of anxious. Um, and then there's avoidant, which is a protection of ourselves, right? So if we had a, again, a caregiver who was, um, most caregivers are less than perfect, right? But but some can bring out an avoidance where we're in here, where we're so scared that we avoid mm-hmm. situations. We avoid confrontational situations. And we may have seen our parents or family deal with situations that way too, right? And there may be cultural elements, um, you know, ancestral things being passed down, intergenerational trauma influencing how we deal with situations. Um, So the secure attachment, you know, typically comes from a parent who was very available, Mm -hmm. but also gave the child um, enough autonomy and, you know, wings to fly on their own, but was present when needed in a very supportive way. So we have secure attachment when we show up in relationship, um, willing to show up, right? And, And knowing what we will tolerate and not tolerate and being simple about it. That's a secure attachment style. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the very clear parallels to leadership and management. Yes. Because <laughs> I think I've known managers or leaders or whatever you want to say that probably exhibit each of those. Right. Yes. And in my practice, in your practice, we certainly talk to people who endeavor to, you know, be there, be available, but also provide autonomy to their team and support them in their growth. Mm-hmm. But we also know people who avoid situations because they don't yes. want to deal with it. Yes. And then we both know people who get so nervous about situations that they they work themselves up. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and that's a great segue to negative feedback. 
Yeah. So we talked about appreciative. Mm -hmm. We talked about how to make sure the appreciative feedback comes off as authentic, which is Mm -hmm. making sure you don't have an agenda, right? right? What is my goal in sharing this? And then inevitably the question mark is, so-and-so isn't performing, how do I communicate this to them in a productive way? Mm -hmm. So if someone were to ask you that, what would you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, So there are so many tips here. And um, well, just to backtrack a little, I love how you summarize the different types of leaders. So that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it's exactly I mean, yeah, it was so so well, well phrased. Um, So how do you give feedback? So my number one tip would be. So when it's done well, it can be very succinct and be done in effectively in two sentences. We don't need to go on and on and on. Um, And a lot of times people dread these, quote, difficult conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a fear that they're going to take a long time, be time consuming. And oh, my God, what if they start crying or like emotions surface and then it becomes a big thing, right? When we become really skillful at differentiating feedback, which is feedback that's hard to hear because it might challenge our self-perception or just, you know, just for it might highlight differences in value use, um, it can be very brief and succinct. And this is where the T group skills um, come in. You know, so number one tip would be to be specific and to name an observable behavior. Okay, so when you frown as people are sharing their ideas, right? So that's observable. When you frown as people are sharing their ideas, um, I feel, you know, I feel concern. So you name what's going on in observable behavior and the impact on you. That's one sentence. When you frown as people are sharing their ideas, I feel concern. Sentence number two can sound like my my narrative. My story is that the impact, uh, you know, is that when you share your great ideas, people aren't going to be receptive you know, that the relationships are being compromised if you frown too much mm. and, and don't appear open. That's two sentences, right? And, and avoiding abstract terms. So I could have said, when you tuned everybody out as they were sharing their ideas, I felt concerned. Well, tune everybody out. Like, what does that mean? That's a little bit abstract. Yeah. It's a little bit vague. Um, so, so yeah, be specific and succinct, share the behavior, share the, uh, impact on you personally, and then share the overall impact while acknowledging that it's a perception, a story, a narrative, right? It's, it's simply your interpretation because that's unassailable, right? My, my story is people are going to start tuning you out or people are going to start frowning when you share your ideas or right. the relationships are going to be compromised. Stick to the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You bring up um, such a good point about succinct too, because sometimes when people are nervous about delivering a perceived negative mes- message, they talk and talk and talk. And then sometimes the point gets missed. So you yes. end up going through 
this whole difficult conversation without real impact. And there's a great model that you're making me think of, which is insight, action, behavior, uh, I'm sorry, benefit, Mm. right? So what is the insight? What is the action you can do to improve it? Mm -hmm. And how is that going to benefit you? And how is that going to benefit the organization? Yes. And that sounds very similar to what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I love that insight action benefit. That's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and that reminds me, you know, another tip would be just pairing it with a very specific ask or a specific suggestion mm. and, or asking, inviting them to come up with their own solution or suggestion. Right. So checking in with uh, how the feedback lands and, hey, like I have a resource for you. Would you be interested in it? And or, hey, like, how does that land for you? What do you think? What are some steps you can take to um, to address it? You know, but that specific ask or suggestion, you know, sometimes people are left with this vague feedback without knowing what to do about it. And as you mentioned, like when we sort of get lost in the story and share too much whatever, um, the, the critical elements get lost yeah. and the, the specific ask or suggestion and, or inviting them to come up with it themselves, um, can get lost. The other yeah. thing with perceived negative feedback is it can be very alienating. You could feel like you have all these lights on you and you know, you're naked in front of the crowd or something like that. You feel very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You feel very exposed. Mm-hmm. And as you're talking, I'm almost thinking of if you have to give feedback, I loved when you said check in, you can even ask, how can I support you? Mm-hmm. Right. How can, how can I, how can I help you here mm-hmm. so that you don't make someone feel as alone? Yeah, absolutely. And that brings up, um, yeah, another phrase for this, like, uh, how does it land? And then, yeah, I love how can I support you? Um, that brings up the the element of tone, mm. <laughs> you know, the warmth required for effective feedback. Yeah. And, and really, you have to actually care personally. You know, as Kim Scott in Radical Candor says, like, if the dimension of caring personally doesn't exist, Right. Such that when you say, how can I support you? If they don't sense that that's coming from an authentic place, it will not be effective. So, so, you know, checking in, do I care about this person personally? So that when I say things like, how can I support you? It is authentic, right? It is coming from a genuine place of care. Um, It's going to be much more effective. So, so, you know, translating it to leaders, like when leaders can increase their capacity, to care personally mm-hmm. and genuinely, right? Because that's not always an easy thing to care, to actually care. <laughs> um, if we can increase our capacity to care, it's going to come off much better. And people show that they care in such different ways. So I think this is where self-awareness can be so critical because sometimes it might take a single line lo- like, look, I know I'm very profit focused. I know I'm constantly on you about X, Y, Z. It may not seem this way, but I want you to know that I'm personally invested in you and how you do here, which mm-hmm. is where this is coming from. 
just to set that context. Yes. And that requires an awareness of understanding how you land with other people and how other people perceive you and how you come off to them. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. So as we wind down, Mm -hmm. I can't believe how fast this has gone. I know. (laughs) As we wind down, I want to rapid fire two questions to you. Okay. Put you in the hot seat. So the first is, let's say someone's a newly minted manager Mm -hmm. and they have to give some perceived negative feedback. What is the first thing they should think about as they enter that conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing I'd say is making sure it's worth the investment of time, Mm. energy, attention. The second thing would be to think about what trust and rapport already exists, right? To just like, what's my relationship with this person? How open are they going to be? Right. Um, And be warm, right? Mm -hmm. If you decide to go ahead and give that feedback, be warm, provide safety, um, really tap into sort of noble purpose and the North star of like, this is for them. This is for the organization and then be humble, right? This is just your, your experience, your perception. Don't get too attached to, to the outcome. That very Buddhist philosophy of non-attachment to the outcome (laughs) tends to sneak its way into every podcast (laughs) (laughs) That we do, but there's so much truth to it. And Mm -hmm. going back to what you're saying, and and it seems like this is a through line today, but context is so, so important and is Mm -hmm. the center of what so much of what you're saying. What is the goal of this conversation and what do you want to get out of it? How are you hoping this changes something? What Mm -hmm. is the net change? And that goes back to what you said before about specificity. Yes. And giving them a suggestion of a behavior that can change it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being perfectly transparent with the suggestion, with the request, um, being generous with ideas and resourcing if possible. And then, you know, respecting that uh, then it's on them, right? We don't actually have control of what they choose to do with that feedback. We can, we can create a culture where we value feedback. We can model uh, receiving and exchanging feedback well. We can infuse it as best as possible into the team. And, um, and, and then we can give very skillful, specific feedback that you know, is accompanied with resources, warmth, um, care. And then, it, and then there's their role, right? What do they do with it? We have limited control over that. And um, yeah, and that, that non-attachment is, uh, it's going to save us a lot of angst and stress and sleep if we recognize that, that it's up to them at yeah. a certain point. That's great. Yeah. All right, next question. Yes. Take this however you will. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew back then? <laughs> okay. Yes. I, I love this question. Um, 
I think, you know, there's this up level, this up level when you get really, and I'm still, you know, it's a work in process or in progress where I, I'm getting more skillful with feedback on myself, but it can be profoundly enlivening to exchange, to give and receive feedback when, when it's safe for people to be transparent and to feel the spectrum of emotion. And this is what T group really helps with is that you actually practice saying, I feel annoyed. I feel frustrated. I feel, you know, concerned. I feel scared. Um, So I think, what do I wish I knew? I wish I knew how enlivening and how impactful the full spectrum of human emotion um, can be, you know, that it can be absolutely safe and strengthen relationship to share anger and frustration in a skillful way. Mm. Um, and that it absolutely needs to be practiced and skillful for it to be effective. Yeah. What does bypass that? What does the word enlivening mean to you? Yeah. Great, great question. Cause I have said that several times. Enlivening means that the full body comes online, that you're feeling sensation through the spine, through the arms. Like even as I'm talking to you in this moment, I feel like certain sensation in my biceps and forearms, in my shins and my calves, because uh, I'm just feeling this like presence right now that is profoundly impacting my whole body. And when I can tune into my whole body and feel all the information it can give me, I can leverage that for insight, wisdom, the best next step. Um, there's this enlivening thing that happens when honesty is shared between people through feedback that spans the full spectrum of emotion, right? That doesn't gloss over the difficult, um, that we can really leverage for innovation and creativity. Mm. That's beautifully said. It's almost like an energy or, or being present. It's like exactly. a, a physical manifestation of being present. Exactly. Well, yes. Alicia, this has been so fun. If so anyone fun. <laughs> wants to find you, where can they get in touch? Yes. Um, yes, this has been so delightful. I wish we had so much longer to unpack all of these themes. Um, so if somebody wants to find me, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me at Alicia Manis. Um, M-A-N-E-S-S, comma, M-S on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect there. And then I also have a couple websites, aliciamanis.com and channelbright.biz. And that's for the the cohort-based talent development for middle layers of management. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and for all of your valuable insights. Thank you, Jacqueline. Oh, it's my pleasure. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews and connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us at info at JacquelineBeckConsulting.com. That's Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, Beck, B-E-C-K. See you next time. Mm-hmm.